Wow, what happened to the 80 degree weather we had uh, a few days ago? I guess we're getting it back tomorrow. So. Um, I grew up in the Willamette Valley of Oregon near Portland. And this weather that we have right now reminds me a lot of the typical January day in Oregon. Uh, cold, wet, gray, and drippy. Um, Virginia tends to get its humidity in the summer, but we in Oregon get our humidity in the winter, cold, damp. Um, and I have webbed hands to prove that I grew up in <laughs> that particular uh, place. Um, in one week, we're going to be turning our clocks back uh, and daylight savings time will end. Can you all hear me okay? Okay. It's nice to have the extra hour on Sunday morning, but it's not so nice to have it get dark at 530, is it? Um, any early Christmas people here this morning? People that like to do Christmas early? people raising their hand tentatively because we do Advent in this church, but I, I saw Jenny, the gravity is really strong where you are. Her hand kind of went about this size. Um, one of my favorite Christmas songs, which actually originated in Elizabethan England, is uh, called All Hail to the Day. So it's not a very well-known carol, uh, but when the text was first published in 1625, uh, the title page described it as, quote, a pleasant country new ditty, merrily showing how to drive the cold winter away. Country not meaning uh, Hank Williams or Garth Brooks, but country as in countryside. Um, and among other things, this, this song is a celebration of warm gatherings around the fire during the 12 days of Christmas. I'll quote uh, one part of one verse. This time of the year is spent in good cheer and neighbors together do meet to sit by the fire with friendly desire, each other in love do greet. Old grudges forgot are put in the pot, all sorrows aside they lay. The old and the young doth carol this song to drive the cold winter away. Um, and there, the, there are other verses that uh, celebrate good food and drink. Uh, they even mention comfort foods like uh, nut brown ale and cake bread and cheese. Now this song was written in pre-industrial England before the advent of electricity, before central heating, before the light bulb. And keep in mind too that England lies further north. Um, in North England, the sun rises about 8.30 on Christmas day and sets about 3.45 in the afternoon. But even today uh, with our technology uh, with all our artificial illumination, um, warm family gatherings help to take the edge off of winter, don't they? Um, but of course, with COVID-19, many are beginning to wonder how they're going to do Thanksgiving um, and how they're going to do Christmas. There's been uh, a lot in the news about the infection rate uh, and, and death toll of COVID-19, along with its impact on the economy. But we hear a lot less about its impact on mental health. Um, this last June, the Center for Disease Control surveyed about 5,400 American adults and 41%, 41% of the respondents reported an adverse mental or behavioral condition. Nearly one third of the respondents reported symptoms of anxiety and depression, 13% said they started or increased substance use or abuse to cope with stress. And 11% of the respondents said they seriously committed suicide. 
uh, seriously contemplated committing suicide. Sorry. Um, seriously contemplated suicide. These rates are about three to four times higher than they were a year before in 2019. Winter is coming and many experts are predicting a second wave of mental health problems that might overwhelm um, American communities. Um, an article was published several weeks ago in the Journal for, uh, of the American Medical Association and they were, were talking about the mental, uh, the mental health impact of COVID-19. Um, and in this article, three doctors from NYU, uh, the Department of Psychiatry argue that we need to have increased funding for mental health, including screening for those who are higher risk, uh, minorities, healthcare workers, uh, the elderly. And they also emphasize something very interesting, something very important. They emphasize community, the importance of family and friends. Quote, history has shown that societies recover from devastation when leaders and members are joined by a shared purpose, acting in a unified way to facilitate recovery. In such societies, there is a shared understanding that its members must care for one another because the loss of one is a loss for all. Um, so what are the doctor's orders then for dealing with the psychological effects of COVID? Well, among other recommendations, to maintain strong community, to maintain strong interpersonal connections. Now this shouldn't be news for us, right? As Christians, because we should already have this kind of community. Um, which the NYU doctors describe. But of course, living it out can be a challenge. Uh, so this morning, I'd like to talk about Christian community, um, both its biblical foundations and how we can practice it today. And then I'd like to provide several sort of practical suggestions for cultivating community as we enter a winter with COVID-19. First of all, let's talk about the biblical basis for community. The New Testament term which best encapsulates what Christian community means is one that you've likely heard before, koinonia. How many of you have heard that term, koinonia? Many of you. It's hard to raise your hand when it's in your pocket, trying to stay warm. I'll try not to do that again. Uh, you can virtually, like, yeah, nod your head, seriously. Uh, the noun form of koinonia appears about 20 times in the New Testament. It can be translated as fellowship, but also is translated as participation, partnership, contribution, and sharing. And in the ancient world, koinonia was used to describe labor guilds. It was used to describe business partnerships um, and even marriage. And in the New Testament, it's used to describe a Christian's intimate relationship with, first of all, God, and then with fellow believers, koinonia. But what is the basis of this koinonia? Um, well, throughout the Bible, personal and corporate identity are based on kinship. Who you are depends on your ancestry. So let's think of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, identity is very much related to kinship, to family, right? This uh, for Israel begins with Abraham. He's promised that he will have many children. Um, and initially, God provides a son and a lamb for the son. Um, and this leads to 12 tribes of Israel. So pedigree and patriarchal heritage are, are very important in the Old Testament world. Um, and this is also true in the time of Jesus. In, in the opening of the New Testament, we find a genealogy, right? Um, and Jesus is described as the son of David and the son of Abraham. Um, but it's not just an ancient reality. There are many uh, 
societies today where ancestry remains very important. Um, my wife, Daria, grew up in Bulgaria and in her hometown in the 1970s when she was growing up, uh, people would not ask, who are you? They would ask her, whose are you? W-H-O-S-E, whose are you? Um, the New Testament view, of course, is different. Um, kinship remains essential, but now it's about spiritual ancestry. Um, and this principle is clearly stated in the famous prologue of the Gospel of John. Let me quote that for you. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So this is describing spiritual children. They're not produced in the normal way, as children are through flesh and blood, but they're produced by God. Um, we also recall the words of Jesus to Nicodemus, where he said, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's in John 3, 5. So family ties, even though they remain important, they're not of ultimate importance in the New Testament. And uh, you might recall when, when those who are following Jesus tell him that his mother and his brothers are looking for him, what does Jesus say? He says, who are my mother and brother? Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. In John 1, um, if you have a Bible, or if you are brave enough to pull it out, <laughs> turn to John 1, and let's look at it together. The word koinonia appears four times um, in this passage. Um, it appears, first of all, in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So our koinonia, our fellowship, is share, our shared life with each other is made possible because of our koinonia, because of our fellowship with the Father and the Son. Those of you who've done the Alpha Weekend uh, might wonder, well, where you're missing the Holy Spirit here, John. Um, why is it just the Father and the Son? Um, well, of course, the Holy Spirit is a very important part of koinonia as well. Uh, Paul speaks in several places about the koinonia of the Spirit, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, and Philippians 2, 1. And, of course, remember the words I just quoted from John 3, that you have to be born of the Spirit to be part of God's kingdom. It's important to mention the Holy Spirit because this, this fellowship or this koinonia is made possible because of Pentecost. In fact, the word koinonia does not appear in the Bible until Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit descends. And of course, Peter preaches this great sermon. 3,000 or so people respond. They're added to the church. And we see in Acts 2.42 that there is a believing community who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to koinonia, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Uh, and many have seen these elements, the scripture, the Eucharist, um, and prayer as essential parts of koinonia. And that's, what, that's why we place such importance on them in a worship service. In Acts 2, you have a dramatic turnaround. At the beginning of the chapter, uh, we're told that there are people from every nation 
in chapter 2, verse 5 of Acts. And they, they've gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. These were mostly Jews. There were some Gentile God-fearing uh, converts. Uh, but and, and there were many Jews who were coming from primarily the eastern half of the Roman Empire. And most of these people then had a blood connection, right? They had kinship in common. They were Jews, but they didn't necessarily have a spiritual connection. So it's striking then at the end of the chapter in verse 44, we see that those who accepted Peter's message are part of a community where they share all things in common. The Greek word there is koina, the adjective for, uh, form of the, the idea of koinonia. But how does this happen? How, how is it how is it the koinonia of the spirit is unleashed on Pentecost? Um, and what does it mean? So it means that we can have a living relationship with God. Uh, Kevin talked last week about the image of Jesus as the vine and that we are the branches. And this, this tells us about our organic connection to him. Um, and koinonia is more or less the same notion. Because we have fellowship with God, because we have this connection with Christ, we can have a relationship and enjoy communion with each other. But what does koinonia look like in practice? Um, one of the most compelling metaphors, I think, for koinonia in the New Testament is a metaphor that you're probably very familiar with, the body of Christ. Right? And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul elaborates this illustration. He says there's no division in the body, but that the members of the body care for one another. Um, notice verse 26 of chapter 12. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is cold, everybody is cold. Oh. Um, that's how the body works, right? If one part is in pain, the rest of it shares that pain. I mean, think of if you have to go rush to the bathroom in the middle of the night and you stub your toe, right? Is it just your toe that hurts? No, your whole body joins in the pain, right? You might uh, start to hop around a bit. You might start to do kind of a, an awkward jig uh, after you stub your toe. Um, you might even begin to sort of, as you dance, you might begin to wave your arms up and down. Okay, the arms are joining in. Um, and then your face contorts with pain. And then finally, your tongue might join into the fray, and it might give voice to the pain by uttering a few choice words. Um, and I won't ask if the choice is good or not. Um, that's how a body works. When one suffers, everyone suffers. God wants us to function as a body, um, as an organic whole. Um, and to repeat one thing the New York University uh, doctor said in that report I mentioned earlier, they say that with community, with healthy community, there is a shared understanding that as members must care for one another because the loss of one is the loss for all. I need to contact the Journal of the American Medical Association because they're plagiarizing Paul. Uh, <laughs> it's just, they didn't even cite Paul in that article and it took that idea from him. Building uh, communities is difficult in, in American culture. It's challenging. It's probably fair to say that we have the most uh, restless, rootless society in human history. And a lot of this goes back to the way that this country was uh, settled and founded. Uh, many of our ancestors left behind tight-knit communities in the old country, and they came to America for economic opportunities, and in some cases for religious freedom. So there's a strong impulse in the American DNA to want to break away from the constraints of society. And this can be good in some cases when society is dysfunctional 
and it often is, but sometimes this tendency can also work against building community. And of course, these problems are compounded by, by COVID. So I want to just talk about two practical suggestions quickly. Uh, the first one I would emphasize is be sure to be involved actively in a small group or something like a small group. Uh, small groups are an excellent way to practice koinonia um, on a regular basis. But to work, they require mutual commitment and responsibility. Um, I would put a particular emphasis on prayer, on sharing in prayer. Uh, James tells us to confess our sins to one another and to pray for each other. Um, but this requires openness. It requires honesty, accountability, confidentiality. And I think that this can be done very well. This sort of intimate prayer can be done very well in growth groups. Um, in the Maplehurst small group, we have a same gender growth group. So the men divide up and share with each other. The women do the same thing. And that can be very powerful. The second uh, application I would want to touch on this morning is to be sure to reach out to those who are vulnerable during this time. Those who live alone, those who are unable to come to church on a regular basis, maybe unable to come to small group. Um, seasonal affective disorder is a real thing. Uh, just ask anybody who lives in Fairbanks, Alaska. Um, on Christmas Day in Fairbanks, Alaska, the sun rises at 11 a.m. and sets at 2.45 p.m. Um, that's not even four hours of daylight. Of course, we're a bit farther south, so it's not quite as extreme here. But um, despite all our technology, the decreased solar energy, the, the lack of, of so much light and heat can have a negative effect. And this, of course, is made worse in the situation that we have with COVID. And in this time of COVID, we're having to learn to be creative about connecting, aren't we? Uh, technology can help, but our engagement with each other should be rooted in real embodied relationships. Um, six years ago, Daria and I had the chance to take 20 EMU students to Bulgaria, Turkey, and Greece for a cross-cultural, for an experiential learning trip there. And while we were there, we had a chance to visit the Rila Monastery, and we made a connection with an Eastern Orthodox priest when we were there. Um, he was a very friendly man, had a, had a heart for young people. And so he asked if he could speak to the student group. And he said one thing that I'll never forget. He said uh, to the students, your generation spends too much time in front of screens. He said the most beautiful thing in all of creation is the human face. Aim to spend as much time as you can in the presence of others. This is certainly harder to do with COVID um, and when we do spend time with each other uh, these days, it can, it, we, so we're sort of like Moses sometimes who had to wear a veil, right? We, our sunshiny faces are eclipsed by a mask. Um, but it's important to be together. Technology can help us connect, but we're embodied beings and nothing can replace the importance of being together. So be sure to reach out to those who are vulnerable, but conversely, if you're feeling lonely, don't go into your shell. Don't uh, sort of fall into yourself. Reach out and connect. Um, that can be hard to do in our culture because we believe in rugged individualism, right? Pick yourself up by the bootstraps. You can make it on your own. You can tough it out, right? We love in our culture these stories of success, right? The rags to riches stories. Um, that anybody can make it big in America, but many people struggle just to make it at all, don't they? Um, and we need to learn to swallow our pride and to reach out to our brothers and sisters um, 
in order to have community. So this morning we looked briefly at Christian community and the New Testament concept of koinonia. This is based on our new birth that comes through the Holy Spirit. All believers share it. It's our common ancestry. Um, but koinonia is not intended to be primarily theological or theoretical. It's intended to be put into practice. It must be cultivated. It must be fleshed out in a real community. Um, so please keep this in mind and especially reach out to those who are lonely and vulnerable in a time of COVID. Remember that in Christ, our lives are not our own. This goes against our American DNA, right? We, we believe in independence. Um, we're people of independence, right? But in Romans 12, 5, Paul reminds believers, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The New Living Translation renders that final phrase this way, we all belong to each other. So don't buy the lie that your life is yours alone to live. It's simply not true. In the face of COVID, the doctor's orders, as we saw from that article, are to maintain strong community. And if we re reframe that in light of our gospel passage for this morning, the great physician's orders are to love one another. So let's be creative as we diligently practice koinonia and as we share our lives together in Christ in a very challenging time. Amen.